1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Post Daily News Show for Friday, May the 6th. I am John Pollock. Waiting off today, but we have a more than suitable replacement. Uh, lots of stuff to check out on the site before we get into all the WWE earnings fun. Uh, if you missed it, MCU later from Thursday night for Post Wrestling Cafe members, a cavalcade of stars. Waiting, WH Park, Rich Fan from the Pro Wrestling Torch site, and Nate Milton all getting together to chat the season finale of Moon Knight. And then uh, coming up this weekend, we will let everyone know we will be live here on the channel right after UFC 274, right after WrestleMania Backlash. There is a lot going on this weekend, including the Miami Grand Prix on Sunday afternoon as well. So a very, very busy weekend, but never too busy for this man who is joining us. It is our our quarterly earnings chat with Brandon Thurston here at Post Wrestling, you can catch WrestleNomics every Sunday here on the site. And another record-breaking quarter, Brandon, and we can get right into things. Uh Posting revenue of $33.4 million and net income of just over $66 million. Uh Kind of staggering figures that we're just used to, Brandon, but to put into perspective, like, the peak of the Attitude Era, like, 99-2000, like, you're you're almost at this level that they're doing in one quarter of what the business was uh, at, at the peak of many people's uh, lifetime for WWF business. And that's that's what we're talking about for a quarter now.
2: Yeah. No, no Formula One talk, by the way. Did I it mean, did
1: not come up. I thought it was so close when he was just there on the Netflix. I thought with uh, Drive to Survive getting renewed, I was like, okay. I think he's here- talked about it in the past, though.
2: Yes. So, But, but yeah, didn't if, not- really, if you compare it to, to the Attitude Era, which, you know. Everyone thinks of, rightly so, as the most popular era in this company's history. Uh, this is a much more profitable time today than then, even though it's considerably less popular today. Um, and that's even adjusted for inflation, but that's just the nature of this very different business that, that we're we're seeing today that is so driven by media, by TV rights, by streaming rights even, and not so much by
1: ticket sales. If you do want to get in any of your uh, super chats for Brandon, we will be taking those uh, towards the end of the show, uh, getting into all of the discussion points coming out of the earnings call. Uh, when it came to the uh, the, the estimates uh, on Wall Street and your own estimates, Brandon, how did uh, this quarter uh, fare in terms of what they delivered?
2: I, I estimated an 81-cent EPS, which – a lot of people probably don't know what that means. It's just an impression of profit, basically. Um, and it ended up being, I believe, was it 70, 78? No, not 78. 76 77? cents. 77. Yeah, I had some issues with the math. It, it didn't quite divide correctly for me in, in actually what they reported. Some mm-hmm. some accountants going to have to explain this to me, why why it was 76 cents. Uh, when you divide the diluted shares by the net income, it comes out to like 2 cents lower. But anyway, uh, a little bit more... Accurate than the consensus of analysts. Uh, I was looking at the two reports that I do have access to, and and comparing their estimates to my estimates. Mine mine a little bit little bit more accurate. Um, so, yeah, it was um in terms of profitability, the various profitability metrics, and in terms of revenue, it's uh, about what I expected. Uh, it was over what they guided. So they told investors in the previous quarterly earnings call, that it would be uh, within a certain range of adjusted Awebda. uh I forget what it was. I think 90, 80 to 90 or 90 to 100, something like that. They well exceeded that reported, I believe, something like $111 million of adjusted EBITDA, mm-hmm. which is their profit metric where they're excluding certain things that they decide to exclude. Uh, but they did better than they expected. They did not raise their their guidance for the full year. Uh, so I'm, I'm expecting there's going to be some more expenses and just doing some quick math last night, they spent something. So I, I always, so here's everybody's going to know the secret now, how I do these these estimates I take the the operating expense on their media division. And then I divide that by the number of media events of the TV events that they do Mm -hmm. in the quarter. And and it came out to $5 million per media event. Um, and that's really high relative to what it's been in, in the trailing, you know, several years it's been like three four million and it's higher if there's a saudi event if there's a wrestlemania now in this quarter q1 there was a royal rumble there was a saudi event um i think it's gonna be considerably higher this year just because they are doing stadium stadium shows yeah yeah so i think that's gonna be part of it but uh yeah i mean financially they're doing as well as they expected to
1: in terms of just you know, so much is is focused on you know the the, the escalation of, of the television rights, which it was it was a modest uh, ing- it was like one percent increase up uh, this quarter. But you know, this is a re- return to live events. It's not the robust schedule of years past, but nonetheless, um, live events is a, a sector on the ascent as well as we have seen with uh, consumer products, how did those uh, kind of measure up to what you were looking at and, and what that says just about kind of the state of the company now that they are back on the road on a more consistent basis than obviously a year ago.
2: So live events are profitable. That was the real struggle for them before the pandemic, uh, where unless there, it was a WrestleMania quarter, they were either barely profitable or they had several quarters where they weren't profitable. But uh, I, I had been estimating Q4, the first full quarter with the return to touring now about two months would be two now it would be so they returned to touring in july so that july august september would have been q3 q4 was was a full quarter uh, of return to touring i figured they wouldn't be profitable but they were profitable in the live events division um they were profitable again this quarter and i was thinking about it um maybe i wonder how much of that has to do with the lack of nxt doing any touring maybe that would partly explain why, you know, we haven't even seen the Largo Loop return. Yeah. Um, so I wonder if, if that's a big part of that story in terms of why that event, why that division uh, wasn't profitable pre-pandemic and is profitable now.
1: Yeah. And I know this is a point you've brought up when we've discussed kind of the, just the concept of, of house shows for this company is that, you know, with the reduced schedule, we are eliminating all of those kind of c-level cities that are not going to get a tv and you know you're going to be more selective now in the markets that you do tour uh for for live events so you're you're not going to have kind of those those smaller drawing cities on on top of it yeah i haven't thought
2: about that a lot i'm kind of aware that that's that's an issue but like are they running fewer events now than they were in comparable quarters like say q1 2019 did they run fewer events uh, in this year than last year, it's now so so long in the past. It's not even showing up on the on the KPIs now, right? Because we've got twenty twenty is probably the last uh, year on the KPIs. Um, but yeah, it's there's a value in doing house shows, even if they're not making money. And maybe they are. If 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 NXT was such a big part of it, if it was, then maybe house shows are kind of profitable. And it is a is a marketing tool to go to a city and to you know. M- promote the product in a town and get people to go to a show and have memories and then they'll engage with the product again later
1: of course the uh the highlight of these is always uh nikon's state of the the media industry on the the earnings call after with analysts and i would say you know nikon's big message in all of this uh beyond the uh the wrestlemania performance that they threw out a lot of statistics and uh and you wrote a bit about this just in terms of, of the peacock deal and now that we can look at it like there is It's unquestionably been an extremely beneficial relationship. Uh, I would say for, for both sides, but with WWE, the just amount of people that are seeing these events are at an all time high. And it's kind of hard because they're not, they're not drilling down specific numbers, but more the, the year to year comparisons. And it seems that, you know, the accessibility to their biggest shows is as widespread as it's ever been.
2: Yeah. And just to fact check myself in real time here. Yeah. Q1 2019, 90 events this Q1. Um, 52 events, so that's okay. <laughs> nearly, nearly double Q1 2018, 99 events. And, and that, none of that includes the NXT events either. So you're, you're definitely right there. They're doing way fewer events. Um, Peacock though, I, th- I think this was, this was my big takeaway. Um, and it's sort of, it started to, it was a creeping belief before this, that, that distribution, the increase in distribution of having the premium live events, don't call them pay-per-views on Peacock. Uh, That's a big deal for for WWE in terms of slowing down the decline in popularity that's been happening since 2017. Uh, Peacock is in, I know Comcast just reported, I think almost 30 million monthly active users now. The quarter before, something like 24 million. So think of that. And I believe that's all U S. So think of that on the scale of a cable network, a cable network, a you know, a big cable network is in about 80 million homes. So it's still a fraction, but that's quite a bit of coverage. And if you can think about how pay-per-views have been distributed in the past, there've been pay-per-views that were people were, you know, they were charging $60 for, uh, you really had to go out of your way to watch it. A WrestleMania would draw 1 million buys globally, maybe mm-hmm. like 600, 700, thousand buys in the U S. So you, Now you would have parties and everything, right? Lots, lots of people per home were probably watching the the pay pay pay-per-views. Um, and then you escalated it up to about 1.1, maybe 1.2 at its peak million subscribers for the W network. And I, and I can look back in time and and say, Hey, look in, in 2014 to 2016, the first few years of the W network being in existence, we saw ticket sales rise. We saw merchandise sales rise. We see web search rise, which, which often coincides with the activity that we see in consumer metrics. And in the years following that, it declined. Um, and now we're, I, we're seeing these events, uh, on an even higher reach platform than the W network. Uh, and we're seeing, we're starting to see finally, we're, you know, we're still in a pandemic, but we're, start, we're starting to see, you know, a few quarters now of the return to touring being underway. And we're seeing ticket sales are, comparable to where they were uh, in 2019. Uh, merch per capita at the events is up to $12, which is higher than it's ever been. Uh, average ticket price is pretty high. They reported $67 for an average ticket price in North America, whereas pre-pandemic that was around $50 to 60 I think in a WrestleMania quarter it got, got over $60. So they're charging quite a bit for, for tickets. Their e-commerce sales, uh, which did really well during the pandemic, during the the time of no touring uh, and offset a lot of the lack of venue merchandise. That was really high. But if you compare that to the e-commerce sales of pre-pandemic, what they reported in this quarter is better than the Q1s of the past. So, and I see web search in the U S and worldwide up a little bit year over year. So that tells me that, well, maybe all of this draining of W's popularity that, that we've seen from 2017 to 2021, I think that's, that's finally stabilizing. Um, it, it's, it's really, I think it dawned on me that it's a, it's an underrated story in, in wrestling business analysis. We talk so much about stars and you have to, it's important to create stars, which it is. And I don't want to take anything away from that point. W needs to create stars and they have a lot of trouble doing that. Um, but if you look at a lot of the boom periods of my lifetime, You'll see a lot, you know, think about the 80s where, yes, Hulk Hogan was a huge star, but it also coincided with the WF getting on cable and getting syndication nationwide, being distributed more than any wrestling promotion at that time had been distributed, at least in the U.S. And uh, if you look at the 90s, well, maybe I could say, you know, the, the late 90s boom, yes, it had a lot to do with stars involved, but it probably also had something to do with Two major companies running head-to-head in prime time when lots of people are home and lots of people can watch TV. So, and I I think what happened in the, let's call it the mid-2010s, had something to do with the network allowing people to watch pay-per-view events to a degree they had never watched them before, and they had access to the library, and they could engage in all this nostalgia. And now, Peacock is helping those events become even more watched and we're not seeing a boom period. Let's not not get confused. We're seeing the end of this endless decline in popularity.
1: Do you think now, now that we're getting sort, sort of away from like what we can call the, the pandemic period of the impact that had on a lot of these big streaming giants, like we saw how, how Disney Plus went through the roof and ESPN Plus grew exponentially and UFC hand, hand in hand with that. And, and now it's cu- coming out of it. Do you see that as – like the pandemic accelerated the growth of these streamers and there's going to be a bit of a, a re residual kind of come back to earth feeling? Or has this just largely grown these these streaming giants to where they might have hoped to have been five years from now that this pandemic grew them that much more because of the unique circumstances?
2: I think that the pandemic accelerated a lot of behaviors. Um, I I don't know if it accelerated us by five years, but it maybe accelerated us by a year or two. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I'm not deeply in, in the know of what people thought was going to happen, uh, generally in terms of streaming, in terms of cable subscribers, but you know, my guess would be that I think people underestimated the degree to which older people would not cut the cord. I think we've sort of at this point where, you know, when when I look back at the TV ratings, I just see P- P50 plus, it goes up and down, but, but mm-hmm. across say 2016 to the present, yes, it goes up and down, but it's, but it's a straight line. Uh, in 2020, it's really high for, you know, news reasons and it settles back down last year, but P50 plus people are, are just don't seem to be cutting the cord or if they are, they're probably dabbling in streaming, but they're not uh, getting rid of their cable subscription and they're probably not signing up for, uh, sub, you know, subscription streaming as much. Um, and, uh, what we're seeing too is a lot of people, it's not as if every home that's not having a, a cable subscription is, uh, subscribing to every streaming service under the sun. They're picking and choosing. They're maybe subscribing to a few at a time and canceling this one that month and, and trading them in and out. Uh, and that's a lot of flexibility. And as, um, I'm not a traditional cable subscriber, but, but people who, who are listening who are, I'm sure know, it's very difficult to ca- cancel your cable. And, uh, the customer service is, uh, you know, they put a lot of friction between you and cancellation. So uh, it's just a lot of flexibility that uh, that doesn't exist in, in a traditional situation.
1: The Dana White theory that he uh, – he was on the Pivot podcast this week and his idea is that – Was he? Yes. He, he describes that – Today?
2: You know, the one that came, came out today? Because I listened to it this morning.
1: <laughs> the, the Dana White one? It was a couple of days ago. This, this okay. was the one where – the big headline was him saying the boxers are overpaid and that's what everyone – Who are the hosts of this saying? podcast? Oh it's it's three former NFL players. Okay, we're talking about a different podcast. Okay, anyway. <laughs> okay, a different pivot podcast? Okay, yeah. well maybe they uh they pivot from one another. But nonetheless, he believes that back when it was like four major broadcast networks, we're going to have the same thing only it's going to be four major streaming giants and it will be global. That you will have four giants and and that is where things are going and I guess like it's one theory, but it's it's also one that I think people are looking at is like you know with all of these streamers trying to have market share that there's only going to be so many standing and and if you have like four, for lack of a better term, pillars, um, that is going to be you know the the focus of of so many of these sports rights and and where where they land if you can have that kind of distribution that can support for.
2: Yeah, the common wisdom seems to be that we're going to see mergers and acquisitions now that are going to consolidate some of these streaming platforms and some of these traditional players. Um, I think I've, I do not know if I talked about it here, but on WrestleNomics, we've talked about, it. I mean, look at Fox that's not deeply involved in streaming. Yes, they have Tubi, which is a free ad-supported platform, uh, but they haven't done a subscription service, I guess, other than Fox Nation. Um, but they're, you know, they haven't deeply invested, uh, and peak, something like Peacock has invested billions of dollars in content. Uh, so I, I, th- I think, some of the traditional players and maybe maybe Netflix are, are going to have to get together to make this all worth it in the end. Um, and maybe we'll have, I don't know if it'll be globally, I don't know if that'll all make sense. Maybe eventually it'll be global because there's, there's no reason, there's, there's no limit probably in terms of you know, using the Internet to get the to video, video to everybody for it not to be global. But there's still a lot of different content that's needed all over the world and a lot of uh, different price points all over the world. But uh, yeah, I I expect to see a lot of mergers and acquisitions across media for the next three years or so uh, to come.
1: So Nick Khan in kind of uh, forecasting, uh, stating that, you know, with the the U.S. media rights for Raw and Friday Night Smackdown that are up in the fall of 2024, he said that they expect more buyers looking for live event programming than any time prior. And then he went into a mini state of the streaming industry going through Netflix, Apple TV Plus, Plus. Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, Hulu and all of their strategies regarding live event programming and sort yes. of just giving you the uh, the Cole's notes on where he believes everything is going and how they are entering um, live event programming and why it positions them so well. But it seems like that is the optimal type of environment for a Nikon to be taking these rights into the market if you have all of those as potential landing spots on top of your – your, your linear TV options or, or some in the case, you know, of an ESPN plus that is serving both.
2: Yeah. That, that, I, we're on the same page. That's the top of my list of things from, from the call, just the, the reassurance that they're going to have many bidders interested, or at least, you know, that that's the message that he wants to put out there. I mean, I, I I'm sure there will be bidders beyond Fox and NBCU. That'll be interested in, in the next round. Um, I think, you know, he, he, he talks about Amazon, Apple, uh, every call, Netflix, every call in terms of these are the, the emerging and very, especially in Apple and Amazon's case. And, and they have very deep pockets to, to do what they want in terms of buying content. They can kind of overpay because for Apple and Amazon, especially less so for Netflix, Apple and Amazon, you know, video content is not their main business. You know, Amazon is just trying to get more of your time and more of your engagement so they can sell you more retail. Uh, Apple is, is is selling people iPhones and, and AirPods and so forth. Um, so they can really pay, um, more maybe than somebody like Netflix can or NBCU can, um, and there's talk, too, from Nick about how, you know, look at Dancing with the Stars. That's that's being taken off of traditional ABC and being put onto streaming. So not just live sports coming to streaming, but live events, period. Uh, the Country Music Awards or something were mentioned as something that was put on streaming instead. Um, so that's going to continue to be the case. It, part of it, I think, is, is a pitch to, to, to those players, to Amazon, Apple, Netflix, you know, that uh, we should talk. We should, uh, we should discuss this, which... I wouldn't be surprised if they already are having some sort of preliminary uh, discussions or something like that. Um, I don't see Apple as a likely home for pro wrestling anytime soon, just because the Apple brand is is such a is such a high quality brand. I would be surprised if they embraced pro wrestling, especially this early in their in their embrace of live sports. Um, Amazon maybe, and we'll see too. You know, next day there's no, no talk of next day rights here. Next day rights are up at the end of this year uh, and probably not going to stay with Hulu, I believe. Could go to Netflix, could go to Amazon. That's totally believable to me. Um, And that's something that I think would really excite the stock market. And it would begin this relationship that could turn into live sports uh, dealing
1: I don't imagine it's, it's a huge deal with, with, Amazon Prime, but he did make reference to the one championship deal that was announced last week, noting that they found that deal to be interesting. Why do you think, uh, a Nikon is interested in, in that specifically?
2: Because it's live. Who, who did they, uh, sign with? What streaming one service?
1: Cha- uh, with Amazon Prime.
2: Because it's live sports and it's combat sports. It's nearer to, to what WWE does than, than any other sport, I guess. Um, and and it's Amazon. It, it just re, reassures and reinforces the idea that they could really be players. And, you know, it, and even if they don't go to any of these streaming companies, even if they stay on NBCU and stay on Fox for the next round, it still, you know, uh, uh, pushes NBCU and Fox to bid more aggressively and to give, uh, W more money or a more favorable partnership or better time slot, whatever it is.
0: in putting away more money for retirement because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers most of us should only plan on retiring once listen to nerd wallet's smart money podcast on your favorite podcast app future you will thank you
1: and i think the obvious is that the more interest in wwe's rights um you know with all of these different uh, players potentially at the table that that somehow an AEW comes into the mix here of like, what is, what is the value of, of this company when you're looking at, at its numbers and what its, its value is versus what its asking price is in comparison to WWE? If you are sold on the idea of professional wrestling as something that works on your, on your service, then what other wrestling is out there is the natural question.
2: Yeah. And I think, uh,
1: AEW, its popularity seems to be
2: slowly growing too. Um, that's something we've, we've talked about uh, quite a bit on Russellomics lately. And I know there's been talk elsewhere in, in the wrestling media ecosystem about that. Um, I've been thinking lately, I don't think I've said this anywhere yet. Like I, I was, you know, we just had a big episode last Sunday going over what I think AEW could be worth in terms of TV rights, maybe three X, maybe as high as five X, just based on the number of hours and and the, the ratings that they're doing compared to other sports properties and compared to WWE. Um, I think, you look at Rampage and what Rampage is doing. It's a one-hour show, not in a good time slot. Um, I wonder, you know, if if it were, you know, up to me, I would I would probably try to sell Rampage as a streaming product and let that be uh, on a streaming platform. The problem with streaming is that. it's important to these media companies. They want to grow this streaming platform because they're trying to catch behavior from people who are never going to subscribe to cable. Um, But it's still really important as it turns out to be on traditional linear TV, because that still has the biggest reach. So you leave dynamite on a traditional network like TBS and, and you're reaching a lot of people that way. And maybe it's, it's fine to, to put rampage. So your secondary shorter show or whatever duration it ends up being to a streaming platform and the impression that I'm getting is that these companies are kind of overpaying a little bit or paying a little bit more for streaming because what, what the content provider like AWW is not getting when they go to streaming is the big reach because there's only say, you know, 20, 30 million subscribers here, as opposed to like 70, 80 million subscribers on traditional TV. So you get a little bit of money, get a little bit more money for going over there. And, uh, and you probably reached, more people by being on a streaming service while being on traditional TV. So I, I think that's a that's a play. And sort of the more complex uh, you can make the deal, as we found out in 2018, even the more money you can get by splitting up who you sell the rights
1: to. It was also interesting just to look at uh, the, the breakdown of of the television figures and what USA Network is averaging. And I mean, it really strikes you of just how – impactful raw is or rather the loss of raw would be to USA networks average conversely NXT 2.0 is performing under that um you have uh USA's average as they listed with 729,000 viewers uh NXT 2.0 for this quarter throwing out the sci-fi shows would be 617,000 so it makes you wonder if that's just sort of um you know in in play for all of this of like where an NXT is is thought uh, strategically in all of these uh talks and what it's addition is when it comes to like the Raw and SmackDown rights i think everyone is looking at some kind of streaming component here do you see it being something where it is just certain episodes per year are earmarked or could you see something creative whether it be a third hour of SmackDown or an hour of Raw that becomes streaming only um and trying to feed both both sides of linear and digital could you see them going that deep into breaking up a show and sending your audience to multiple locations
2: a, th- a third hour of smackdown I, hadn't, I mean I know we've uh that, that that's been uh,
1: you know, told I, i'm ready about. for it i'm ready for third <laughs> three hours of smackdown I think we're getting a second hour of rampage yeah. I think it's they're only going to ramp up um. I
2: th- you got to have the third hour of smackdown so it competes against rampage if they stay on at ten o'clock um, but that, that, that's that's plausible anyway when uh Nikon talked to Ariel Hawani last summer right in in august uh he kind of joked you know about the question of is raw too long is it three i wish it was eight hours um because it would be more content to sell um
1: yeah, I, I want I, I want that guy to tell me to recite the history of this 24 7 title week by week and he can tell me how that title has uh how it goes week by right. week
2: it, it, it's like in terms of nxt i don't i don't know like it's clear they've clearly punted on the idea that this is going to be something that's going to draw ratings i think they kind of understood if, if you kind of read the tea leaves of what triple h just said that you know, he had sort of acknowledged that ratings were down and that they've stabilized, uh, which I guess they have. Um, but it's you know, if if they had any hope that NXT was going to be a strong media rights program, I, I don't think they would be doing what they're doing with it. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's not doing great. But Raw and SmackDown are doing okay. SmackDown especially. Uh, there was a question on the call uh, from Stephen Cahal of wells fargo he wanted to know i think he was nicely trying to ask uh what do you say about ratings not doing that well after wrestlemania because there was a lot of talk about how great the wrestlemania viewership itself was um and nick kind of talked about q1 and he said actually if you look at look at the quarter, ratings are up as I tweeted this morning, if you look at the KPIs that they published yesterday, ratings are not up. (laughs) Draws down. Uh, SmackDown is flat. Uh, In in the numbers that I have, SmackDown is up 1%. Um, In the demo, they're both down. Uh, So I don't know what what, what exactly he was getting at there. Uh, But in terms of their rank, I almost wonder why they don't just focus less on the viewership number, still publish it, sure. But I don't know why they don't publish some form of their ranking.
1: That sounds way more impressive to me, Brandon, against these NBA playoffs is the fact they're beating like WWE and AEW. They are beating everything else on their night aside from the NBA. Uh, That, that is something to trumpet. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And he he brought up that, uh, Hey, on, uh, you referring to April, I think 22nd, uh, on Friday night, SmackDown actually beat the NBA and ABC. Well, there was an ESPN basketball game that was doing like twice the viewership of either SmackDown or or the ABC uh, NBA game. But yeah, other than that, uh, okay. Performance, good performance from, from Nikon. Uh, the, the other thing about the, the viewership with WrestleMania, and I, and I know this was published elsewhere uh, a few weeks ago, that 56 million viewers in India watching WrestleMania. Um, I, I'm, I'm trying to find out like what exactly that means. Is that a like to like comparison the way that we think about like P2 plus total viewership? Um, I, I don't know because I've, I've been looking cause I, I figured, you know, cricket must do huge numbers. So let me start Googling cricket viewership and what i see in some articles is you see the reach they're talking about reach and sometimes they're talking about like the average viewership and the average viewership would be what we're familiar with smackdown doing something like two million viewers um so 56 million viewers in india if that's an average of how many people watched the entire i guess two telecasts um or, 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 unless that's just like a the, the reach number of people who watched a part of the telecast, I'm not sure. But 56 million viewers. I know India is a huge country in terms of population. 1.38 billion people. That's like 4% of the population though. That would be the equivalent, because I just did this math before I came out with you. That would be the equivalent of, of AW, you of, of say, say WrestleMania was on television traditionally in the US. That would be like 13 million viewers watching You know, a W telecast, which is like on the level of only the NFL and like some college football stuff does viewership that's that high. Um, So trying to find out if that's the number that it seems to be, which would be, you know, I think we would have to go to uh, Ricky Dozon and and the Destroyer uh, people watching through the shop windows to to find a number that's that big.
1: Yes. Well, this also... They are really running hard with the 156,000 people at WrestleMania figure. So I mean,
2: oh yeah, they they love that number,
1: right? They cannot they cannot be upset if people do not give the, the benefit of the doubt for. So I, I would love to see some of the accounting uh, for for some of these figures, but we'll see it. So
2: next quarter, we'll we'll probably see if if history uh, continues to be the case, we'll see the average attendance with WrestleMania, the average attendance without WrestleMania. We'll do the math. And we'll figure out within a range what the what the paid attendance must have been. Because they are that's what they're publishing in those KPIs for average attendance. That's paid attendance.
1: One year from now, the the first quarter report uh for 2023, do you expect that by this time next year they will have their deals in place for Ron SmackDown, which would be roughly the time the last deals were announced in the spring of 2018. Do you it's see May. this? Do you see this oh, being fun. About a year from now, do you, do you expect deals, or do you think this could go um, uh, l- just later into the life of the contract?
2: I think it was after the Q1. It must have been. I have the sense that it was after the Q1 call in 2018. I would have to look. I want to say that there, were, there was a, a short period of time right where it, where it was reported that they sold Raw to NBCU, and they're putting SmackDown on the open market. And then I think a couple weeks later, they... Announced the SmackDown Fox deal. Um, that might have even been June. I'm not sure, but I, I would guess a little bit after Q1. But that usually is when it is, and that's even when it was, I believe, in 2014, around you know May June timeframe.
1: Um, J- J- end of June 2018, they put out their their press release for uh, Raw and and Fox Sports uh, getting SmackDown. So so a bit a bit, bit later. That seems yeah. later than I recall it being. But June 26, 2018, is when they put out a press release.
2: But that was after everything was finalized and NBC was done first. And I'm right. pretty sure that was in May.
1: So there you go. That is uh, the, the next year ahead. Brandon, do you identify yourself as a gamer? No, no,
2: no. I, I've been
1: asking around to
2: what a role-playing game is. I haven't gotten any solid answers yet, though.
1: <laughs> yes, you and I, I guess, are part of the 20% that do not identify as gamers that uh, follow uh, WWE programming. But uh, that, yes. that was Stephanie McMahon's part. Uh, Paul Levesque absent from this call, and I guess only notable when the Performance Center question came up about their uh, strategy for expanding Performance Centers, and Frank yeah. Riddick took that one. And I thought that was telling. Yeah, I thought... I thought that it was as well the fact that that was a – that was Paul Levesque's subject matter and it did not sound like expanding performance centers was um, something that they are all that keen on in in the future. Yeah. Like it's it's a very interesting development process that they have. Like they're very much touting the, the NIL program but as you mentioned, like I don't see any – move towards more more touring for your talent it seems to be that we're going to have this very quick in and out system where we're going to assess talent on a very quick basis you either have it or you don't and we're going to rush you to tv and we're going to you know if we have a 100 people come through the doors and we get three people that make it great that's that's fine 30-day ruling contracts um
2: I, I thought it was telling that, and I may be reading it, reading too deeply into this, but I, I thought it was telling that the question about, there's a question from an analyst about performance centers, whether you're still thinking about building them or something to that effect. And uh, it was there were two questions in in, in part of this, uh, this, you know, in part of what the analyst was saying. And Nick took the one question and he said, for the other question, I'm going to let Frank take care of it. And Frank Riddick is the, the CFO, the chief financial officer. Uh, Which uh, tells me that you know, it, if if it's the case that we're not doing that anymore, but it's just not we're not ready to say that publicly. You know, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna you know shove this off to the to the financial guy who you who, who may have to say you know, well, we we decided maybe it's not cost effective, it's not a great idea financially to do. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely not something. Why if you're if you're doing an NIL program and you're focusing a lot on college athletes. Why do you need performance centers all over the world? Uh, It's, you know, I I don't think this vision of talent development would ever build a UK performance center at this point. In the UK, NXT seems so de-emphasized at this point.
1: Uh, before we wrap things up, I also wanted to just uh, touch upon uh, today was the official public on sale for uh, AEW and New Japan's Forbidden Door show that's happening at the United Center, June the 26th. Uh, they had the pre-sale on Thursday and tickets were gone of the available allotment within 40 minutes. And I haven't seen the latest updates, but it looks like, um, you know, there were only a few thousand tickets left. This has been an unmitigated success for the show. Uh was this kind of the demand you sensed for this show? Was this at all uh, a surprise for the this concept? No matches announced, uh, selling out the United Center immediately.
2: Yeah, I wasn't sure. It, I guess it did a little bit better than I was expecting. I, I imagine that it would, I guess, sell out eventually. I don't I don't know that I was confident it would sell out as fast as it did, though. Mm-hmm, um, yeah. It is just, bec- I guess, main, mainly, you know, uh, how many times are you going to run Chicago? <laughs> but they sold it out anyway. So, there you go. As it, it's been one of one of the things I've been noticing about AEW is that they've been running a lot of the same markets again and again. I mean Ch- Chicago obviously, but a, a lot of the same markets again and again. They still haven't been to Canada. They're finally going to to California soon. Uh, but yeah, they they they're doing really well for that. I, it's not clear to me, uh, you know, is this who's who's taking home the money for this? You know, Uh, is it new Japan and uh, AEW truly running this in a partnership or is it, uh, you know, is, is new Japan just sort of being paid for it or, or what the deal is?
1: Yeah, it is an interesting question of how you would break that down because we do have the comparable of new Japan running shows featuring AEW talent and they're trying to fill 2000 seat buildings. And, you know, this, while it's being promoted as like a co-promoted event, this was this does feel like this is an AEW show with New Japan talent uh, attached to it, and yeah. the difference of you know twelve thousand people is going and, to be like a the pay per view will be the these. biggest
2: part. You know, sure. this maybe maybe it draws like a million dollar gate. I guess I don't know what the ticket prices have been like, and it's certainly big enough to if if the average ticket is, is high enough to draw a million dollars at the gate. But if they sell you know a hundred thousand buys, that's that's multiple times more money than they'll draw at the gate.
1: So that is going to wrap up our look uh, at at the quarter. Um, In terms of Q2, uh, Brandon, that will be the WrestleMania quarter and they, it didn't give too much guidance on what they're expecting. They're projecting adjusted OIBDA of eighty to ninety million dollars uh, for the quarter, uh, but so much of this will be contingent on uh, WrestleMania. No Saudi Arabia show this quarter, although they said to uh, look out for another Saudi show later this year. Which uh, it's just the one
2: in October that, yes. that they clearly have a space for, but they just haven't. They're not. They're not ready. Who, who knows what political turmoil could happen between now and then? You know.
1: Yes. Yes. The uh, the the other section was well represented uh, for for Q1 with uh with a nice hefty uh. Sixty point five million dollars uh, yes. in recognized revenue. Um, but yes, yes all,
2: their, all their non-Saudi event quarters—it's like ten million, maybe, maybe, maybe five. Yeah,
1: they are softening a little. They're they're they they are saying the country more often now. We we still get large-scale live event multiple times, but they're they're slowly integrating the, the actual name. Yes, of Since as we country. get further
2: and further from the last time there's been a major international news story surrounding the Saudi government, it gets a little bit safer to say Saudi Arabia.
1: Yes it's always an interesting uh, tap dance that they that they go through uh through all of these and their uh their their means to uh, secure international funding uh but that is going to wrap things up uh brandon has a great rundown uh talking about the, the distribution model of uh of what wwe and historically uh what has coincided with with major peaks uh for the company's popularity up at patreon.com slash wrestlenomics and i am sure you're going to be uh, diving more so into the quarterly report uh, with chris gullo this sunday night and i will say that uh the artwork for Nomics, I mean, you are just topping yourself, Brandon. I thought last week with uh, WCW and the AOL Time Warner merger in the rear view window. I mean, yeah. just
2: beautiful. let a, uh, it's an image. There's an image from, um, from a Marshall McLuhan book. Are you familiar with Marshall McLuhan?
1: The the medium is, is the, the message. Yes. Yes. Yes.
2: It's yes. very much on, on theme with what, what the article uh, that I just put up on Patreon is, is about. You know, it's sort of we're not paying enough attention to. We're paying very much attention to the content and what's on the screen, which we should. Uh, I don't know if you would agree with that. But we're paying attention to, you know, is Roman Reigns over how big of a star is he? Who else are they developing? And you know, how much are these stars and these matches going to draw? But uh, the the medium itself, the, the peacock in this case, is uh, is 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 a big difference maker, I think, for for WWE. So. Yeah, we'll see what, what images I come up with. Uh, here's,
1: here's the last question. Let, let's end with, with, with a, a heavy philosophical one. So we, we have seen the impact of WWE. We can call this the fixed revenue era. Okay. That is what they are in right now. Very hard to mess up th- this, this business model, uh, regardless of stars. We have seen the impact too on creative at a time when profits have never been higher. Revenue has never been higher. Uh, creative satisfaction, I would say is not at an all time high. Do you as a fan, Out there, do you root for these gigantic rights deals for a WWE, for an AEW where your revenue is, is fixed to such a high amount that you, you are not a slave to your creative process week by week to have the consumer confidence when so much of your revenue, it's, it's a guaranteed home run before you even step up the bat every week.
2: Uh, as an unbiased, indifferent reporter, I, 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 have no, no opinion about this. No, I think, I mean, look at AEW. I think AEW is a good product. Like it's creatively speaking, I think it's a far superior product to, to WWE and just as much of their revenue is guaranteed. I, I think there's a little bit of wiggle room on their TV deal in terms of ad revenue, but I think a lot, the vast majority of it is guaranteed. Um, and yet they still manage to put out a, a show that I think we would agree is pretty good. Most of the time. Um, and w doesn't and and i don't i don't think it's a, because they don't uh I, I don't think it's i think the guaranteed money in Vince's case just gives him the the freedom to do whatever he wants without financial consequence so he so he does and uh you know and, and tony's not like Vince in that way and and tony knows a little bit more about how a lot more about how to appeal to a a certain kind of wrestling fan who is captivated by by ew
1: it is always a fascinating discussion with you, Brandon. I encourage everyone to check out WrestleDomics on Patreon and Sundays here at PostWrestling.com. You can follow him at Brandon Thurston. And that is going to wrap things up for the Post Daily News Show. Again, we are live Saturday night after UFC 274, Sunday night after WrestleMania Backlash. Uh, we're not going to go through all of Brandon's uh, picks for WrestleMania Backlash. Are you going to watch any of the Miami Grand Prix, Brandon, on Sunday afternoon?
2: Is that on ESPN?
1: Uh, yes, yes. I don't, it is. Get, I don't
2: get ESPN as part of my sling package, so no, no.
1: A big race. I believe Dwayne Johnson will be attending this race. Uh, really? This is it's quite a. They're saying that this is really broken into the U.S. market. Th- this is race this the
2: only particular. one that's in the U.S. or are there more?
1: I think this is the only one, but don't quote me on that. I know they have a big one. They're going to Las Vegas next year. So that, I know
2: that they're all over the world because when I did that ratings analysis, I saw that you know it was like Grand Prix in all these different countries. So yes, a while a a while time.
1: Yes, so Formula One, their rights are up this year, so everyone can can pay attention to that as well. So uh, that will wrap things up for us. Everybody, we'll chat with you on Saturday night after UFC 274. That is all. Thank you for tuning in to the Post Daily News Show.